0: 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is responding to the false accusations of the false teachers in Corinth and the group of individual believers who are following these false teachers. And he is coming now to an area of response where he pulls no punches. He really goes to the heart and core of the issue. He begins, though, by reminding them of something. He says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Now, you have to see this in context. The foolishness he's talking about is that he is speaking the way the false teachers would speak in their accusations and in their claims. He is trying to meet them on their own grounds, pretending to be uh, what they say they are. So he's using their own arguments, as it were. But indeed, you are bearing with me. He says, I was going to ask you to continue to bear with me, but you have been bearing with me through the first part of my message, the first part of what I've written. You have been listening to me talking as a mere man, talking according to fleshly means is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm asking you to put up with my foolishness as I put myself on the same level as my accusers. But I am doing this for your benefit is the implication. But actually, he says, you've been listening to my foolish self-serving talk up to this point already. He then gives them three reasons why he is taking this particular strategy. Why he is speaking on the same level as his accusers. He says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealous, Jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. This is a passage that is pregnant with meaning. Paul is saying, I have a special concern for you because of the spiritual investment I have already placed in you. I have a special concern because what I have done among you. This is his first reason then for talking foolishly, meaning the way the false teachers were talking. Speaking based on human self-interest. I have a personal interest in you. That is true. He elaborates that. He says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He has a sense of personal responsibility for their spiritual welfare. Because of the work that he has done among them. Notice what he says. He doesn't focus on his work though. He says, for I have betrothed you to one husband. I have committed you to Christ with a desire, he's saying, to, with a desire and a set purpose to present you to him unsported and uncorrupted by false teaching in the context. He says, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But he has a concern for them now. He has a concern for them now because he's afraid that they have allowed the evil one to deceive them. Now a little background here for you to understand what Paul is talking about and why he's using this metaphor or uh, illustration of the person who is betrothed to Jesus Christ. According to Jewish tradition, when a young Hebrew man and woman were to be betrothed, today we would call it engagement. But the betrothal in the Jewish system, carried a little further weight. Once they were betrothed, they were actually regarded as being married by the community. So it was a very serious event. But during this time, the groom poured wine into his cup. And then he invited the young woman to drink of that cup. Now, it was up to her whether she would drink it or not. If she drank it, then that means I'm going to marry you. If you didn't drink it, forget it, fella, Go look elsewhere. That was the idea here. The marriage wouldn't take place if she wouldn't partake of the cup. So when he, when she did drink the cup though, she drank of the marriage covenant. In other words, she sealed a covenant or contract, accepting it. Yes, I will marry you. Now, when you understand this symbolism, it is no wonder that Jesus told his disciples when he was instituting the Lord's Supper, He said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so as we drink of his cup at the Lord's table, we are saying that we accept his invitation to be betrothed to him and that we will live a pure life. He has forgiven us of our sins so we can be like he is, sinless, spotless and without fault in his presence. That's what we say. That's what we commit ourselves to when we partake of the cup during the Lord's Supper. Paul alludes to the same concept again in Ephesians 5. And speaking to the husbands, he says, Husbands, you must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her, notice now, to make her holy and clean, washed by God's word. He did this to present her, as the church, to himself as a glorious church. Without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead that she will be holy and without fault. And that's what Jesus Christ is doing in and through us now. By his word and by the Holy Spirit as we wait to be married to him. This is Christ's present work in the church. Cleansing her to make her fit to be his bride. Remember, we are not his bride yet. We are betrothed to him, but the marriage hasn't taken place yet. But we are still to be faithful. This was also Paul's work in the church. That's what he was saying here. I want to keep you pure. I want to keep you clean. I do not want you to be contaminated with false teaching is what he is saying. By God's grace, that's also my purpose as a preacher, as a teacher of the word. To make sure that God's people are cleansed by the washing of the word of truth and not by false teaching. Now, the purpose of Jesus Christ, the purpose of Paul, and my purpose as a pastor, is to protect God's people from being contaminated by false teaching. Or, in order to keep true to the illustration here, so that you won't be washed in filthy water of false teaching but rather you'll continually be washed with the pure water of the word of God. Paul is saying if we allow ourselves to be contaminated with false teachings, we could cause ourselves to be spotted and blemished as we wait for our bridegroom to come. Now, notice verse uh, verse 3. But I am afraid. This is amazing. Paul is saying I'm worried. I'm concerned. That even as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. Now Paul is going to explain to us, to the Corinthians, the motivation behind what was happening. Who is the real source for this false teaching? Now this is Paul's second reason for speaking the way he was speaking. He was afraid that they would allow themselves to be led astray from the truth as he, as he had taught them by tolerating false teachers in their assembly, by being duped and being conned by their slickness and their air of professionalism. Paul is trying to say that the people of God are subject, very easily subject to being deceived by false teachers because of the way they, they uh, present themselves. Now by simplicity here, he does not mean plain or simple-minded. He means to be single-minded. He wants the Corinthians to be single in the, single-minded in their devotion to Christ. And not divided by false teachings. And these so-called super-apostles. That's what they were calling themselves. Super-apostles. Notice what he says. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4. For if anyone comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, notice now receive. He's talking about the difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and receiving an evil spirit. Or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully, or you bear, you put up with it. Now, some people look at this as a commendation, saying that Paul says that you handle this beautifully, but it's just the opposite. This is not a, this is not a commendation. It is a rebuke. Paul is saying that these folk allowed false teachers with false teaching to fill their pulpit and teach in, perhaps, if they had it today, Sunday school classes. They supported them with their money, they put up with listening to a Jesus. That was different from the Jesus he had preached. They were open to receiving from a spirit other than the spirit of Christ. And they were sitting listening to a gospel different than the gospel he was preaching. Or he preached to them. Now this is happening today. It's almost as though Paul knew that this, that he was going to read this in the Bahamas in the year 2012. For instance, he says they're presenting a different Christ. We have people today who teach that Jesus Christ became a sinner on the cross and that he went to hell where he was born again. That's a different Jesus. But yet we have people who listen to those teachers and support them. He goes on to say, you received a different spirit. He's talking about allowing the spirit of the evil one to invade our minds. He talked about that before. He says another gospel. We have people, and unfortunately, probably amongst us, who listen to preachers who say that uh, people do not want to hear about the blood on the cross today. That's not the gospel. They want to hear about their position in the kingdom. So we should be preaching the kingdom gospel rather than the gospel of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's another gospel. But we have people who are listening to them and bearing up with it. They are putting up with it. They're allowing it to happen. Paul says that should not be. Because of this, he was afraid of losing them after all the time and effort he had put into preaching and teaching the word of God amongst them. He was still afraid that they could give themselves over to accepting these false teachings. I share that same fear when I hear of people who listen to these folk and who minister to them through their money and everything else, supporting them with Fervor, I fear that we could lose them to the evil one. You see, this is what Paul is talking about. So this is no some far distant teaching. He's talking about things that are going on in the church today. Now, folk would listen to false teachers who boldly and fearlessly teach that Jesus became a sinner, as I said, on the cross and he went to hell. He was born again. Or that the teachers who say that people do not want to hear about the blood, all they want to hear is about their position in the kingdom. Those are the kinds of false teachings that are going around today. Are you opening your mind to that? Are you just receiving it without any objection, without any rejection? Paul says that should not be happening. Now he goes on, he says, listen, verse, four, verse 5. I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. One translation says to the most super apostles. In other words, he's saying, listen, I do not consider myself inferior to those guys. They put themselves as being super apostles. You know, I heard about one apostle. In fact, I heard him on the radio here says that he was the first apostle in the Bahamas. Therefore, if anyone else want to be an apostle, they've got to come to him and get the authority to do so, Because he was the first one. See, that's a super apostle. That's the kind of things we're hearing. And we hear that today about these guys who are apostles. Who gave them that authority? Who gave them that position? Paul says that didn't come from God as far as he was concerned. He was the only one who was commissioned by God to be an apostle with authority. Now, Paul is being very sarcastic in verse 5. He is saying that I am no less or inferior to these self-style eminent super apostles. I can stand up to any of them when the proper biblical standards and criteria are used. And as I said, I believe that the Holy Spirit was thinking of the day when he wrote this because it's happening to us today. Don't you think that's true? It's going on. Look at verse 6 now. But even if I am unskilled in speech, that's what he was accused of. He was not a good preacher, they said. Uh, Yet I am not so in knowledge. He says, in fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. In other words, if as they claim Paul is saying, I am not as good a preacher or orator as they are, I certainly am not inferior to them in knowledge of the word of God or the truth. And you, he says, of all people, should know that this is true. Why is he saying that? Because we have explained the gospel to you. And as a result of our explanation of the gospel, you place faith in Jesus Christ. So you know if there's anybody who has knowledge about the gospel, it's me. You yourself is a proof of that. That's how you became believers in Christ. So please, he's saying, don't turn away to false teachers because they look good or they sound good. But rather cling or stay true to what I have taught you to be the word of God and not the word of man. And then you just look around. You will see that most false teachers, they look good. They sound good. They present themselves professionally. Paul says that may be true. But do they have the truth? That's the important thing. Paul then poses some possible reasons why the Corinthians may have gotten the wrong impression about him and his ministry because they were trying to question him why does Paul do the things that he did one of the things you learn about Paul as you read these Corinthians is that Paul had a strategy for his ministry he had a reason for everything that he did he might not explain the reasons while he was doing it but he had a reason for it I follow the same principle I do a lot of things based on a principle in order to orient the people, to orient you to the concept without having to preach it or teach it specifically. That's what Paul is saying that he did here. Notice he said, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. That's quite a strategy, isn't it? Working for somebody but getting paid by somebody else. Verse 9. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. Verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, This boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. That's where Corinth was. Why? Is it? Because, why? Is it because I do not love you? No, just Jeopardy saying, God knows that I love you. So here is the background behind this, if you can understand the text. When Paul went to Corinth, because of he, he knew what was going around the area, he decided not to receive any financial support from the Corinthian church. He is wondering now if they were offended by that because it seems that it somehow caused him to look humble while it may have caused them to look superior somehow because he put himself, he did not, he put himself at their disposal without any remuneration, without any pay. That caused him to look A little humble, a little less important than he should have been, but caused them to look quite generous, you see. So he was concerned, he said, did I sin in doing this? Now when he says by robbing churches, he's using hyperbole, he's using an exaggeration to make a point. He means that he sought help when it was needed from churches that he was not ministering to at the time, just to avoid the appearance that he was ministering at Corinth for monetary gain, as so many people were doing. He got more support from those who were members from other churches than he got from those who were members of the church that he was ministering at. Now, in one sense, it was his fault. Why? Why? because when he did have a need he didn't make it known to them he made it known to the Macedonians so he's not blaming them He's just simply saying I took that strategy because I wanted to avoid all appearance of being there simply to get money from you he did not want to make the mistake of giving the impression that he was in the ministry at Corinth for the money as many of the false teachers will his point is then that he didn't use his position and authority as an apostle to get financial assistance from the Corinthians. He didn't use his God-appointed authority as an apostle. To gain monetary, monetarily. As these other people were doing. And as many pastors, leaders, apostles are doing today. Unfortunately. Now. He says. He did that not because he didn't love them. But he did it because he loved them. Uh, it's still true today, you know, unfortunately. There are many situations where pastors get more support from people outside the church they're working at than people from within the church. That happens here at times. We would have a conference, for instance, or a seminar especially designed to equip and to more mature our people. We'd have five people from Calvary Bible Church come up and 50 from outside. We have more support for the radio ministry from outsiders than we have from Calvary Bible Church. Those who have been blessed from outside were blessing us. And many times people from within the assembly were not doing it. Paul had the same situation. He's saying that should not be. Now verse 11. But what I am doing, I will continue to do. He's very specific here, very definite, almost arrogant. What I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they're boasting. In other words, the reason why I'm doing it, I'm challenging these other apostles to do the same thing. Go to Corinth and tell them that you don't want any money. You don't want any support from them. I dare you to do that is what he's saying to these false teachers. That is what is a mark of my divine authority as an apostle. I can actually demand support, but I will not. I won't, re- I will refuse to get it. I'm not using my authority to manipulate or to deceive the people at Corinth. I challenge you to do the same thing. Will you go and minister at Corinth without charge, without getting any financial gain? He know, he knew that they would not respond to that. He knew that that would demonstrate the fact that they were, in fact, there for monetary gain. So, in effect, he cuts the ground from under their charge against him for being there just for the money. What he is saying is now he's turning the tables. He's saying, You, not me, are in the ministry for financial gain. He is not in the ministry for financial gain. Case closed. Now, I'm going to be open to you as much as I can here. That's my desire as well. In no way do I ever want to use the ministry for financial gain. Paul calls that filthy lucre. When you use the ministry for personal gain. That is a sin. Paul makes that very clear here. He clearly describes the, the strategy. He goes on now rather to... Uh, describe the origin uh, and originate, if you want, the source for the kind of uh, teaching and character that these men exhibited in Corinth. Notice what he says in verse 13. And he's holding no punches here now. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ notice disguising that's a hypocrite then you say you are one person or one thing and you act differently or you're not no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds so Paul is very specific now he's very blunt here these guys are agents of the devil They are receiving their instructions, their motivation from the evil one. They are false apostles. They are deceitful workers. It's very clear here. Notice, Satan and his emissaries do not show themselves as false prophets. They don't say, I'm a false prophet. They say just opposite. I am a true prophet. They promote themselves as true servants of Jesus Christ. They are false prophets because they were not appointed or commissioned by Jesus Christ. They were appointed and commissioned by themselves or some other human organization. They commissioned themselves under the directions of the devil himself. That's what Paul is saying. This is where the spiritual element comes in now, folks, and we must not forget that. You know, we go looking for the devil sometime and some of the places we go is like the bar room and all of these places. But you know where the devil probably is? Sitting right here next to one of us. You see? It's amazing, isn't it? That's true. That's what Paul says. And Paul wants us to be spiritually aware of this fact. These false people who have their source in the evil one use deception as their chief strategy. Jude picks up on this. He says they're like reefs in your feast of love. You know we know about reefs here, Charlie and and with and, uh, that fisherman over the name, uh, Lindsay. They know about reefs. You know uh, sometimes it's hard to see. You got to be a skilled uh, sailor sometimes to detect what is a rock and what is grass. But he says that's like false teachers in our assembly. It's hard to detect. And you don't know they're there, they're there until you run upon them. That's what he's saying here. They use deception. The same way Satan did in the Garden of Eden. Deception, manipulation has always been his strategy. Again I say, Satan does not appear to people as a frightening red devil with horns and a tail. He and his emissaries come dressed in three-piece suits, a collar, long robes, They look like decent, ordinary preachers, but they are the devil in disguise. That's what Paul is teaching here. Do you get that? That's why we have to be careful. We have to be wary here. They claim to be teachers of the truth, but in fact they were teachers of error. All you have to do is look on your TV and you will see this happening all the time. You will see men and women who are being controlled, who are being motivated by the evil one. And he's doing a good job because many of God's people are being fooled and manipulated, deceived by them. That's why you have to be very careful as to what you spend time before the TV listening to and who you're sending money to. I'm very serious about this. I preach this all the time. It might sound like a broken record, but I'll continue to do that because our desire is like that of Paul. We want to be sure that you are pure, you're without spot when it comes to teaching Paul says these men here might get applause on earth. But notice how he ends up. He says that whose end will be according to their deeds. In other words, they're going to get from God what they deserve. And it isn't a pat on the back. You see, he's going to judge them according to their deception and so on. So this is a very powerful statement here. And reminds us again of the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. We cannot... Fight this battle using human means, human resources. I'm dealing with that right now because, you know, we're dealing with this gambling situation and we have all kinds of strategies lined up. And as I was going through today, so you know something, I think we need to scrap all of this because all of these are human strategy. We need to go back to the Word and dependent upon the Spirit of God. We have to use divine weapons spiritual weapons and not human weapons that's the same thing we have to do in the church when we fight false teaching when we fight liturgy amongst our people when we fight disappointment on and 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 all of these things we have to go back to spiritual resources not human resources you see and we need to understand that God is still in control isn't he and we must depend upon him his word his Holy Spirit in order to his To affect his work amongst us we have a wonderful opportunity to do this in a new and exciting way as we come to celebrate our 50th anniversary we're going to start on towards another 50 years and i don't mean i can be here for another 50 years so don't get scared of that but we're going to be here headed towards a new ministry in another 50 years the entire ministry of calvary bible church could be changed in a more powerful, effective way, if we go back, as it were, to using spiritual weapons and not weapons of human devices. We're going to need money. In fact, we're going to be asking for money later on. But still, remember, if this is God's work, he's going to supply the sources without our having to do things we shouldn't be doing. Isn't that right? And that's what we have to depend on. And I believe that is true with all my heart. All right, let me stop there for the night.